And so this morning, um, it's my distinct pleasure to, uh, to welcome our, our next guest speaker. Um, for those of you who have been around Parkview for some time, uh, you've most likely heard Dr. Harry Shields come uh, and be with us. Um, but for those of you who are newer, like I am, very excited to hear this message. Um, Dr. Shields, uh, <clears throat> over his 40 plus uh, years in the ministry, has been the senior pastor of multiple churches. Um, and he is also a uh, published author, writer, radio broadcaster. He's got a great radio voice. As soon as you hear it, you're like, oh, yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, and, and of course, a uh, professor at uh, Moody uh, Theological Seminary. So would you please give a very, very warm Parkview welcome to Dr. Harry Shields. Thank you so much for your kindness. Uh, it's great for Carol and I to be with you again. And uh, we trust that in our worship together and through the ministry of the Word that we will understand and know God's will and follow in it. This morning, um, as a church, we continue in the study of the book of Acts. Uh, that being the case, you might want to find in your copy of the Scripture, whether it's electronic copy or paper copy, would you make your way to Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 13, and you want to keep your Bibles open to Acts chapter 13. And what I would like to do today is to answer a very important question. Here's the question. What is it that God wants from you? What is it that the Lord Jesus wants from your life? Some of you, your mind is racing and you're saying something like this. Well, the pastor is gone. He's brought in a pinch hitter. I'll bet this guy's going to talk about money and there's probably going to be a second offering this morning. Well, relax. That's not what we're going to talk about. That's not what God wants from you primarily. Uh, the answer to the question as to what God wants from you and what God wants from your life could impact your budget, could impact your money, but that's not what we're going to talk about this morning. And it shouldn't surprise us when we get a question like, uh, what does someone want? What does God want? Uh, we're faced with that all of the time. For example, uh, if you go to the grocery store and you have your cart, uh, maybe you have 20 items or 40 items, whatever it might be, you come up to the counter and you start to unload all of those things on one of those conveyor belts. Uh, the clerk is always uh, friendly towards you, and uh, so she's checking things off. She's scanning every single item. The last item is run, run by the scanner, and she looks at you with a smile on your face, and you know what she wants. She wants your credit card, your debit card, your cash before you get out of the store. We, we know what people want, uh, even if they don't say anything. Or you're, you're driving north on a highway. It's, it's the way you go every single day to your job, your place of employment. And you notice that all of a sudden the cars are starting to back up. And up ahead you see a police officer and he's motioning for everyone to make a right turn. You don't want to make a right turn. You want to keep going north. That's the way you always go. And every car is having to turn to the right. Finally, it comes to you. You make that right-hand turn. doesn't matter what you want. It's important as to what the policeman wants. And just by that gesture, that hand motion, you know exactly 
what he wants for your life. Some of you will be going to the airport this week, and uh, you'll be sitting uh, in a certain area, a certain lounge, and then all of a sudden, your number, your group will be called, and you'll get up with your bags, and you'll move towards that place where you walk down the, uh, the galleyway, the, the plank, whatever it is, and you, you make your way to the plane. And, and before you ever get on the plane, uh, there is a flight attendant standing there, maybe with a smile, maybe with a greeting, but you know what they want. They want your ticket before you go any further. We know what some people want. And then, of course, there are a lot of people, a lot of situations where we do not have a clue as to what it is that we are supposed to do. And many times I'm discovering that that's the way it is with God. We never stop and say to ourselves, even though we declare ourselves to be Christ followers, that God wants something from us. So I come back to the question, what is it that God wants? What is it that the Lord Jesus, if you're a Christ follower, what does He want from your life? I asked you just a few moments ago to uh, turn to Acts chapter 13. We're looking at verses 1 through 12 this morning, and in looking at these 12 verses, we are going to find an answer to this question as to what Jesus wants from everyone who names the name of Jesus and declares themselves as a disciple, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. What I'd like to do is to read this passage of Scripture. Uh, You're going to see it on the screen. You can follow along or follow along in the translation that you have in your own hands. But, but listen, I'm reading Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them away. The two of them went on their way by the Holy Spirit, uh, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bargesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul An intelligent man sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, 
for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. So back to our question. What is it that God wants? What is it that the Lord Jesus Christ wants from our lives? There's an answer uh, in this passage of Scripture. Make some observations with me, if you would. For example, would you make note of the fact that at the start of uh, Acts chapter 13, we have what is referred to as the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. The book of Acts records three of those journeys that Paul made. Uh, That's important because if you were to go back to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, uh, you would discover that Jesus said to his disciples, he would say, you are my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. Now, from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we see that that declaration by the Lord Jesus is being fulfilled. Uh, they were witnesses in Jerusalem, then persecution broke out. Then they went to Judea, and more persecution broke out, and they begin to expand even more, and some of them go into Samaria, and more persecution breaks out. But at that point in time, not yet has the gospel gone to the ends of the earth until we get to Acts chapter 13. We are told that uh, in Antioch, that's a reference to Syrian Antioch, uh, there was a church. In fact, some of the Jewish believers who had been persecuted in Jerusalem and Judea, they fled to Syrian Antioch. While they were there, some phenomenal things started to take place. The people talked about, the Christians talked about the Lord Jesus Christ at every single opportunity. We are even told in the book of Acts that they started to share the gospel with some Greeks, that is, non-Jews, and they came to faith. And when we get to Acts chapter 13, we hear that certain things are beginning to take place. At the start of the chapter, would you make note of the fact that there is a worship gathering that is taking place? In that worship gathering, one of the things that we discover is that the people were seeking the Lord. They were worshiping and they were fasting. That's what the text says in verse 2. Not only that, we see that they were listening to see what the Lord had to say to them. And sure enough, the Lord spoke. We are told in verse 2 that the Holy Spirit said to them, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. So they are gathered, they are worshiping, they are listening to see what the Holy Spirit might be saying to them. And sure enough, the Holy Spirit speaks and says, this is what I want Saul and Barnabas to do. Later on, this Saul is going to be called Paul. He had probably two names. He had a Jewish name, that is the name Saul, and he had a Roman name as well. And that Roman name, as he enters into the Gentile world, is the world that we're going to know him by over and over and over again. What amazes me in this situation that uh, Saul and Barnabas uh, don't second-guess things. They don't say, for example, could we run this by the Holy Spirit one more time? (laughs) Could could we just double-check? I'm not sure that, that we're ready to do this sort of thing. No, none of that happens. No asking the Holy Spirit a second time, no second-guessing anyone, no people doubting what the church might be saying to them as they lay on their hands. What we see happening between verses 3 and 4 is that they go. They go. Now, that should say something to us. In fact, in those first three or four verses is embedded a principle, a truth. 
I often say to congregations, if you take anything with you this morning, this is what you will want to write down. This is what you will want to remember. You'll see it on the screen as well. So what does Jesus want from us? Listen up. What Jesus wants, what the Lord wants from us more than anything else is a focused faith. And you're saying, uh, what in the world is a focused faith? That's what we're going to see in this text. Does it mean necessarily that we will never doubt? No, it doesn't mean that. Does it mean that uh, somehow we will never be sidetracked in any way? No, it doesn't mean that. What it means is that we need to come back again and again to what Jesus wants from us above and beyond everything else. And what Jesus wants for you, what he wants from me, is a focused faith. Now look with me at this text, and we're going to see three different dimensions of this focused faith. First off, would you make note of the fact that when we come to Jesus and Jesus calls us to his cause, he calls us to his work, one aspect of a focused faith is that it is focused on the supremacy of God's plan. Now, what in the world is God's plan? I have to ask that question because of the fact that if I were to say, do you, do you know what your plans are for the day? And you might say, yeah, they're, they're a little bit fuzzy, but yeah, I know my plans for the day. I know my plans for the week. How about for the rest of the year? Some of you even know your plans for the rest of the year, maybe for 2016. But what about God's plans? Uh, I'm an adjunct professor at Moody Theological Seminary. That's a fancy way of saying I'm (laughs) part-time. And I teach some classes in uh, pastoral leadership, Christian leadership. And one of the assignments that I give to students is an assignment in which I ask them to write out their own personal mission statement. I say to them, what I want you to do is make sure you spend time. You give me evidence that you've studied the Scriptures, especially the New Testament, in terms of God's will for your life before you write out your mission. And then I say, make sure that you look at your spiritual gifts. Then make sure you look at your talents. Look at the experiences that you've had in life where you see God working in your life in different ways. And then after you do that, you write out a mission statement of 25 words or less, invariably. Here's what students do. They'll come to me and they'll say, oh. I'm having a little bit of trouble writing out this mission statement. It's not the 25 words or less. I'm just not sure what God wants for me or what he wants for my life. And I look at them, and I smile, and I say, I have good news for you today. I know God's will for your life. In fact, I I know God's will for your life as well, and God's will for this church. What happens is we are so focused on what we want to do and what we want to experience that we never take the time to look or to listen as to what God's supreme plan is for the world. God's supreme plan is for the church. What God's supreme plan is for every single believer. Would you notice again in verse 2 that what the Holy Spirit said to the congregation and then specifically to Saul and Barnabas is, Set apart Saul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them. If you were to go back to chapter 9, where the Apostle Paul is converted, where he's called to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, or fast forward to Acts chapter 22, 
you'd come to that point where Paul gives one of his testimonies about how he had come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He uses this phrase, set apart for the work. And the work was always talking about Jesus, proclaiming Jesus, who he was, and how people could have new life and a new relationship with God through Jesus. That was the work to which they were called. In fact, that's the work that we have as well. In Matthew chapter 28, you may remember that uh, the Lord Jesus says before ascending into heaven, all authority, think about that for a moment, all authority in heaven and on earth, all authority, Jesus says, has been given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all things that I have commanded you. And remember this. I will be with you to the end of the age. That's the plan of God, and that plan is supreme over everything else. Can I make us a little bit uncomfortable? (laughs) That plan is superior to our vocation plans uh, uh, over uh, Christmas or in the spring, whatever it might be. That plan is superior over every vocational plan that we might have for our lives. That plan is superior over absolutely everything. And so if we're going to have a focused faith, we have to come to the point where we are ready to say, I'm going to be focusing on the plan of God that Jesus has for me and he has for his church, and I need to think through how I'm going to be a part of that. But be careful. If you say that sort of thing, Jesus will be working in your life. And let me tell you how he's going to do it. It might start with your children. Maybe they will go to the winter retreat this year. And there's a speaker who comes, and the speaker talks about uh, what one needs to do for their lives. And and they come home after uh, three or four days. And and you say to them, uh, hey, how was the retreat? And they say, it was great. In fact, Mom and Dad, I I don't know how to tell you this. The speaker spoke and talked about the needs uh, throughout the world, and and I made a decision. Oh, really? That's good. What what decision did you make? Well, I'm giving up the scholarship in finance at the university, and I decided to go to Bible college. And you say, what did they put in the pizza that you ate this weekend? (laughs) Now, if you have a focused faith, you'll be ready to say, if that is what the Lord Jesus has for you, I will support you in that plan. If that's what he really wants you to do, then I'm a part of it. Or it might be that the Lord Jesus, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, might begin to uh, turn around your agenda. Carol and I were at a missions conference uh, about three weeks ago, and and we heard a couple speak, and they were telling their story about uh, how they were both uh, in the public school systems of Alabama and uh, The husband was a principal, and uh, his wife was a teacher, and they were doing well, and they were moving ahead in their careers. They said they had only had one conversation in their entire married life, and that was just a few days before they were married, where the husband said, "Uh, would you ever be interested in going into missions? And his wife said, oh, maybe. They never had that conversation again, but they went to a church, and in that church, missionaries started to come through from time to time, and they talked about the needs for the gospel various parts of the world. And finally, they heard the Holy Spirit speaking to them in very clear ways in which they had to say, we think this is the plan that Jesus has for us. And it turned everything upside down, not only for them as a couple, but for their children as well. And they're serving now in the Czech Republic. I tell you that because the Spirit might be speaking to you right now 
inviting you to have a focused faith because that's what he wants from you. And wanting that from you, he wants you to focus on the supremacy of God's plan to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. There's a second thing I want you to see in this passage about a focused faith. Not only focuses on the supremacy of God's plan, but it also focuses on the supremacy of God's providence. We use that term from time to time, but I think I need to take just a moment to define what we mean when we talk about the providence of God. Two different aspects when we talk about God's providence. Uh, One thing about God's providence is that God sustains everything, the key word sustain. What that means is that right now the Lord Jesus Christ is holding everything together by the word of his mouth. He's holding this building together. He's holding this world together. He's holding the universe together. Jesus has the power to do that, and that's what he's doing. He is sustaining absolutely everything, his providential control. The other aspect of providence means that he also guides everything in accordance with his will so that everything will be directed to where the Lord Jesus wants it to go. So when we talk about providence, we're talking about uh, the fact that uh, Jesus sustains everything and Jesus guides absolutely everything in our lives. But we come to the point and we say, no, I I think I'm in control of everything. I think I set the agenda. That's not what the Scriptures teach us. Would you notice how that works out in Saul and Barnabas' life? Verse 4, we're told that the two of them sent on their way, not just by the church, but by the Holy Spirit. They went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. That was going to be about a 130-mile trip along the way, across the waters. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the Word of God. Now, what I find interesting here is that there is no specific strategy that Luke reveals to us. There might have been one, but we don't see it in this passage. The Holy Spirit says, go, they obey, they go because they have a focused faith, and they're moving along. Now they're on Cyprus. And they're going from synagogue to synagogue to synagogue, and every time they go into a synagogue, we're told they proclaim the Word of God, which was probably another way of saying they proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll talk more about that next week. And then what you notice, what happens in verse 6, they traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Now, when it says a, a false prophet, it means he wasn't telling the truth. He would use God language, but he wasn't really telling the truth about God. Uh, if he was a sorcerer, it meant that he probably took a little bit of Judaism and, uh, and a few magical arts and mixed them together, maybe in the power of the devil that we'll talk about in a moment, And he started to impress other things with things that he could do and say. And Sergius Paulus begins to believe that. Now, how was it that Paul and Barnabas at this point meet up with this one called Bar-Jesus? Later later on, he is going to be called Elymas, a, a sorcerer. Answer, providence. Providence made it happen. Now, would you notice what else happens? There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of the Lord. So he's brought into the presence 
of the most powerful political person on the island. How does that happen? Providence. Providence. God sustains everything, and he's guiding everything to where he wants it to go so that Paul and Barnabas now have an audience before this very, very powerful man. God is guiding their steps. Now, here's the thing. God is guiding your steps as well. I like to-do lists. (laughs) Many times I live by to-do lists. And you know sometimes I get frustrated when people interrupt my work and my to-do list. But God does that all the time. And if you and I are focused on the supremacy of God's plan and the supremacy of God's providence, here's what will happen. We'll say, this is an interruption, but I think God's working. God's working when someone knocks on the door of your office this week and says, hey, listen, can I talk? And, and you notice a distraught look in their face, and you better be ready to respond to whatever's going on because God is going to be in that conversation. Or your children are coming to you right at the time when you're fixing dinner. You don't want anyone to interrupt you. But they say, Mommy, Mommy, I I have a question for you. You better be ready to respond because God is probably going to be in that conversation. God is working providentially everywhere to work out his plan. And so that means that what Jesus wants from us above and beyond everything else is a focused faith. Is that where your faith is at? It should be, and you and I better be ready this week for God's interruptions in all that we think we've planned and we're going to do. Focus faith uh, focuses on the supremacy of God's plan. It focuses on the supremacy of God's providence. The third thing I want you to see from this passage, and that is... That if we have a focused faith, we're also going to be focused on the supremacy of God's power. Now, why in the world do you and I need to talk about God's power? Sometimes we'd like to see God's power. We'd like to see it show up. Oh, it's there. And you and I need it all the time. Here's why. Because uh, there are these forces all the time that are working against one another. And it's not the Republicans versus the Democrats. Uh, It's not the rich people versus uh, poor people. It's not people with intelligence versus those people who uh, uh, maybe want more intelligence or more wisdom. Uh, Here's where the power shows up. The power conflict is between the forces of God and the forces of the evil one, the devil. And we see that that's what started to take place here in this first missionary journey. Would you notice verse 8? But Elymas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. We don't know exactly how he did it. We don't have a record of the conversation. But probably since he had a hearing, that is, Elymas had a hearing with his proconsul, and he hears Paul and Barnabas talking about Jesus, he was probably interrupting and interrupting and interrupting, so much so that he begins to say, oh, that's not right. Jesus wasn't the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. In fact, Jesus was even crucified. He died. That just shows he was very, very weak. And so Paul listens to all of that. And then in verse 9 we read, Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You are a child of the devil. 
and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind uh, for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. And it happened, and it happened. And so here was Paul and Barnabas up against the power of the devil. And Paul, in the power of the Holy Spirit, calls down the judgment of God, and it happens. And it was so powerful that we are told that Sergius Paulus believed. I take Luke at his word here, meaning by that, that he believed what was being said about Jesus. He entrusted his life, his eternal destiny to Jesus, and it changed everything. It changed everything. And uh, Paul and Barnabas, if they did not already know this, uh, came to understand that God always trumps the evil one, always. This church has a reputation in the community for knowing about the power of God against the, the forces of evil. In fact, you have called out to God, and God has used you in some wonderful ways in this community to open blind eyes so that they might see the truth of who Jesus really is. And yet some of us here might, might come to the point whereby we begin to say, you know, I, I don't know. I, I hear you talking. I know you're saying that what I probably should do, I should probably be talking about Jesus at work and talking about Jesus at Thanksgiving dinner, and I should be talking about Jesus in my neighborhood. I, I, I just can't do that. The evil one has convinced you that you can't do that. But even in your own way, your own simple way, if you look at the power of God and begin to trust Him, He will use you in ways that you will never imagine. It could be this week that the Lord Jesus Christ might be opening doors for you so that uh, you might share the truth of the gospel with, with someone at work. It might be that he's calling you to be part of a short-term mission trip, and you're saying, I don't know if I can do this. You can do it because the power of God is always greater than the power of the evil one. What we need to do is to focus on the supremacy of God's power. So what does Jesus want? What does he want from your life? What Jesus wants more than anything else is that you and I have a focused faith, focused on the supremacy of his plan, focused on the supremacy of his providence, and focused on the supremacy of his power. And if you do, it will change everything. For just a little over... Twelve years, uh, <clears throat> I had the privilege of uh, serving a congregation in, in northeast Wisconsin, and one of my colleagues was a man by the name of Rick. Rick had come to me and uh, had said he wanted to organize a, a, a trip to Israel, to the Holy Land. And uh, I got on board. I said, this is a good idea. And he was very enthusiastic about it. He said, I'll take care of everything. I'll, I'll get things together. I'll recruit people. And, and he did. And he worked very hard, and we had a large tour group that was ready to go. What we did not know, that is, other people who were part of the tour, was the fact that about three days before we were ready to leave, Rick got a call from his daughter who was living in Arkansas. And she said, Dad, 
can you come and, and pick me up? My husband has just walked out on me, walked out on her and their four children. She said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to survive. And so Rick pondered this. He thought, I, I, I need to not go on the trip. I need, I need to give up everything. I need to talk with who, who can take things over for me. And, and then his two sons came to him and said, Dad, you, you can't stop this trip. You, you can't do it now. You need to go on this trip. People are depending on you. In fact, there was another man in the church who came to him who knew about the situation when none of the rest of us did. And he said, Rick, listen, I'll take care of things. I'll take my truck. I'll go down and get your daughter, her belongings, bring them back here. And then when you get back, we'll work out some of the other details. And so Rick and his wife Janice, they got on the plane, and we traveled to Israel. (laughs) About the fourth day of the trip... And we had a devotional along the way, several different devotions. We came to that place. I think it was just outside of Capernaum. And, and the devotional leader for that day uh, was reading from Matthew chapter 6, where, where Jesus is exhorting people to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And, and you may remember that Jesus says, uh, look at the birds of the air. And the devotional reader uh, Uh, read that statement, and all of a sudden there was silence, and and the birds in the tree started to chirp. (laughs) And then he said, and and look at the flowers of the field. And we all looked out, and there were some beautiful flowers, some beautiful gardens. The devotional reader says that what Jesus wants from you, if he can take care of these lesser things, he can take care of you. Devotional ends. We go on our way. The next morning, right after breakfast, uh, one of the leaders of the group said, uh, would anybody like to share anything about what you've learned on this trip? Silence for a little bit, and then Rick stood up. And he said, I want to, struggle. I want to share with you the struggle my wife and I have been having. He said, we've been thinking about our daughter, didn't know if we should leave, didn't know if we should come on the trip, told the whole story. And he said, that devotional yesterday <laughs> changed everything. He said, I've come to discover what Jesus wants from me more than anything else is that I will trust him. And Rick tells that story every opportunity he gets. And what Jesus wants from you more than anything else is that you will trust him, that you will entrust your marriage to him, that you will entrust your children to him, whatever their ages might be, that you entrust your health to him, that you entrust your future and your vocation to him. That's what he wants more than anything else. And if you're here this morning as one who does not yet know Jesus, what Jesus wants, he wants you to entrust your eternal destiny to him, to realize that like all of us, you're a sinner, myself included. And only Jesus can rescue you from sin and degradation. He wants you to trust him for forgiveness and eternal life. And may God give you the strength to do it, starting now. Father, we would ask that you would take these words and minister to us in ways in which we not only hear the truth, but we obey the truth, just like Paul and Barnabas of long ago. Thank you for this church, for its witness, for its people. 
And all of us commend ourselves now to you and to your grace, and we do so in Jesus' name. Amen.